Section 29 of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. What is Property? An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre Joseph Proudhon. Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Second Memoir, Part 7. Now let me make an hypothesis. Suppose it were written in the charter, in case the country be again invaded, and Paris forced to surrender, the government being annihilated and the National Assembly dissolved, the electoral colleges shall reassemble spontaneously and without other official notice, for the purpose of appointing new deputies, who shall organize a provisional government at Orleans. If Orleans succumbs, the government shall reconstruct itself in the same way at Lyons, then at Bordeaux, then at Bayonne, until all France be captured, or the enemy driven from the land. For the government may perish, but the nation never dies. The king, the peers, and the deputies massacred, viva la France. Do you not think that such an addition to the charter would be better safeguard for the liberty and integrity of the country than walls and bastions around Paris? Well, then, do henceforth for administration, industry, science, literature, and art that which the charter ought to prescribe for the central government and common defense. Instead of endeavoring to render Paris impregnable, try rather to render the loss of Paris an insignificant matter. Instead of accumulating about one point academies, faculties, schools, and political, administrative, and judicial centers, instead of arresting intellectual development and weakening public spirit in the provinces by this fatal agglomeration, can you not, without destroying unity, distribute social functions among places as well as among persons? Such a system, in allowing each province to participate in political power and action, and in balancing industry, intelligence, and strength in all parts of the country, would equally secure against enemies at home and enemies abroad the liberty of the people and the stability of the government. Discriminate then between the centralization of functions and the concentration of organs, between political unity and its material symbol. Oh, that is plausible, but it is impossible, which means that the city of Paris does not intend to surrender its privileges, and that there is still a question of property. Idle talk. The country, in a state of panic which has been cleverly worked upon, has asked for fortifications. I dare to affirm that it has advocated its sovereignty. All parties are to blame for this suicide, the conservatives by their acquiescence in the plans of the government, the friends of the dynasty because they wish no opposition to that which pleases them, and because a popular revolution would annihilate them, the democrats because they hope to rule in their turn. Footnote. Armand Carrel would have favored the fortification of the capital, Le National, has said again and again, placing the name of its old editor by the side of the names of Napoleon and Vauban. What signifies this exhumation of an anti-popular politician? It signifies that Armand Carrel wished to make government an individual and irremovable but elective property, and that he wished this property to be elected not by the people, but by the army. The political system of Carrel was simply a reorganization of the Praetorian Guards. Carrel also hated the Pekins. That which he deplored in the Revolution of July was not, they say, the insurrection of the people, but the victory of the people over the soldiers. That is the reason why Carrel, after 1830, would never support the Patriots. Do you answer me with a few regiments? he asked. 
Armand Carrel regarded the army, the military power, as the basis of law and government. This man undoubtedly had a moral sense within him, but he surely had no sense of justice. Were he still in this world, I declare it boldly, liberty would have no greater enemy than Carrel. End of footnote. That which all rejoice at having obtained is a means of future repression. As for the defense of the country, they are not troubled about that. The idea of tyranny dwells in the minds of all, and brings together into one conspiracy all forms of selfishness. We wish the regeneration of society, but we subordinate this desire to our ideas and convenience. That our approaching marriage may take place, that our business may succeed, that our opinions may triumph, we postpone reform. Intolerance and selfishness lead us to put fetters upon liberty, and, because we cannot wish all that God wishes, we would, if it rested with us, stay the course of destiny rather than sacrifice our own interests and self-love. Is this not an instance where the words of Solomon apply? La iniquiti emanti aeameme. It is said that on this question of the fortification of Paris, the staff of La Nationale are not agreed. This would prove, if proof were needed, that a journal may blunder and falsify, without entitling anyone to accuse its editors. A journal is a metaphysical being for which no one is really responsible, and which owes its existence solely to mutual concessions. This idea ought to frighten those worthy citizens who, because they borrow their opinions from a journal, imagine that they belong to a political party, and who have not the faintest suspicion that they are really without a head. For this reason, sir, I have enlisted in a desperate war against every form of authority over the multitude. Advanced sentinel of the proletariat, I cross bayonets with the celebrities of the day, as well as with spies and charlatans. Well, when I am fighting with an illustrious adversary, must I stop at the end of every phrase, like an orator in the tribune, to say the learned author, the eloquent writer, the profound publicist, and a hundred other platitudes with which it is fashionable to mock people? These civilities seem to me no less insulting to the man attacked than dishonorable to the aggressor. But, when rebuking an author, I say to him, Citizen, your doctrine is absurd, and, if to prove my assertion is offense against you, I am guilty of it. Immediately the listener opens his ears. He is all attention, and if I do not succeed in convincing him, at least I gave his thought an impulse and set him the wholesome example of doubt and free examination. Then do not think, sir, that in tripping up the philosophy of your very learned and very estimable confrere, Monsieur Troplong, I fail to appreciate his talent as a writer. In my opinion, he has too much for a jurist, nor his knowledge, though it is too closely confined to the letter of the law and the reading of old books. In these particulars, Monsieur Troplong offends on the side of excess rather than deficiency. Further, do not believe that I am actuated by any personal animosity towards him, or that I have the slightest desire to wound his self-love. I know Monsieur Trapelong only by his treatise on prescription, which I wish he had not written, and as for my critics, neither Monsieur Trapelong nor any of those whose opinion I value will ever read me. Once more, my only object is to prove, as far as I am able, to this unhappy French nation, that those who make the laws, as well as those who interpret them, are not infallible organs of general, impersonal, and absolute reason. I had resolved to submit to a systematic criticism the semi-official defense of the right of property recently put forth by Monsieur Wolowski, your colleague at the conservatory. 
with this view i had commenced to collect the documents necessary for each of his lectures but soon perceiving that the ideas of the professor were incoherent that his arguments contradicted each other that one affirmation was sure to be overthrown by another and that in monsieur wolowski's lucubrations the good was always mingled with the bad and being by nature a little suspicious it suddenly occurred to me that monsieur wolowski was an advocate of equality in disguise thrown in spite of himself into the position in which the patriarch jacob pictures one of his sons inter duas clitellus between two stools as the proverb says in more parliamentary language i saw clearly that monsieur wolowski was placed between his profound convictions on the one hand and his official duties on the other and that in order to maintain his position he had to assume a certain slant then i experienced great pain at seeing the reserve the circumlocution the figures and the irony to which a professor of legislation whose duty it is to teach dogmas with clearness and precision was forced to resort and i fell to cursing the society in which an honest man is not allowed to say frankly what he thinks never sir have you conceived of such torture i seemed to be witnessing the martyrdom of a mind i am going to give you an idea of these astonishing meetings or rather of these scenes of sorrow monday november twentieth nineteen forty the professor declares in brief one that the right of property is not founded upon occupation but upon the impress of man two that every man has a natural and inalienable right to the use of matter now if matter can be appropriated and if notwithstanding all men retain an inalienable right to the use of this matter what is property and if matter can be appropriated only by labor how long is this appropriation to continue questions that will confuse and confound all jurists whatsoever then monsieur wolowski cites his authorities great god what witnesses he brings forward first monsieur tropelong the great metaphysician whom we have discussed then monsieur louis blanc editor of the revue du progrès who came near being tried by jury for publishing his organization of labor and who escaped from the clutches of the public prosecutor only by a juggler's trick footnote in a very short article which was read by monsieur wolowski monsieur louis blanc declares in substance that he is not a communist which i easily believe that one must be a fool to attack property but he does not say why and that it is very necessary to guard against confounding property with its abuses when voltaire overthrew christianity he repeatedly avowed that he had no spite against religion but only against its abuses and a footnote corinne i mean madame de stal who in an ode making a poetical comparison of the land with waves of the furrow of a plough at the wake of a vessel says that property exists only where man has left his trace which makes property dependent upon the solidity of the elements rousseau the apostle of liberty and equality but who according to monsieur wolowski attacked property only as a joke in order to point to a paradox robespierre who prohibited a division of the land because he regarded such a measure as a rejuvenescence of the property and who while awaiting the definitive organization of the republic placed all property in the care of people that is transferred the right of eminent domain from the individual to society Beaubuff, who wanted property for the nation and communism for the citizens monsieur considerant who favors a division of landed property into shares that is who wishes to render property nominal and fictitious the whole being intermingled with jokes and witticism intended undoubtedly to lead people away from the hornets nests at the expense of the adversaries of the right of property 
november twenty sixth monsieur wolowski supposes this objection land like water air and light is necessary to life therefore it cannot be appropriated and he replies the importance of landed property diminishes as the power of industry increases good this importance diminishes but does not disappear and this of itself shows landed property to be illegitimate here monsieur wolowski pretends to think that the opponents of property refer only to property in land while they merely take it as a term of comparison and in showing with wonderful clearness the absurdity of the position in which he places them he finds a way of drawing the attention of his hearers to another subject without being false to the truth which it is his office to contradict property says monsieur wolowski is that which distinguishes man from the animals that may be but are we to regard this as a compliment or a satire mahomet says monsieur wolowski decreed property and so did genghis khan and tamerlane all ravagers of nations what sort of legislators were they property has been in existence ever since the origin of the human race yes and so has slavery and despotism also and likewise polygamy and idolatry but what does this antiquity show the members of the council of the state monsieur portalis at their head did not raise in their discussion of the code the question of the legitimacy of property their silence says monsieur wolowski is a precedent in favor of this right i may regard this reply as personally addressed to me since the observation belongs to me i reply as long as an opinion is universally admitted the universality of belief serves of itself as argument and proof when this same opinion is attacked the former faith proves nothing we must resort to reason ignorance however old and pardonable it may be never outweighs reason property has its abuses monsieur wolowski confesses but he said these abuses gradually disappear today their cause is known they all arise from a false theory of property in principle property is inviolable but it can and must be checked and disciplined such are the conclusions of the professor when one thus remains in the clouds he need not fear to equivocate nevertheless i would like him to divine these abuses of property to show their cause to explain this true theory from which no abuse is to spring in short to tell me how without destroying property it can be governed for the greatest good of all our civil code says monsieur wolowski in speaking of this subject leaves much to be desired i think it leaves everything undone finally monsieur wolowski opposes on the one hand the concentration of capital and the absorption which results therefrom and on the other he objects to the extreme division of the land now i think that i have demonstrated in my first memoir that large accumulation and minute division are the first two terms of an economical trinity a thesis and an antithesis but while monsieur wolowski says nothing of the third term the synthesis and thus leaves the inference in suspense i have shown that this third term is association which is the annihilation of property november thirtieth literary property monsieur wolowski grants that it is just to recognize the rights of talent which is not in the least hostile to equality but he seriously objects to perpetual and absolute property in the works of genius to the profit of the author's heirs his main argument is that society has a right of collective production over every creation of the mind now it is precisely this principle of collective power that i developed in my inquiries into property and government and on which i have established the complete edifice of a new social organization monsieur wolowski is as far as i know the first jurist who has made a legislative application of this economical law 
only while i have extended the principle of collective power to every sort of product monsieur wolowski more prudent than it is my nature to be confined it to neutral ground so that that which i am bold enough to say of the whole he is contented to affirm of a part leaving the intelligent hearer to fill up the void for himself however his arguments are keen and close one feels that the professor finding himself more at ease with one aspect of property has given the rein to his intellect and is rushing on towards liberty one absolute literary property would hinder the activity of other men and obstruct the development of humanity it would be the death of progress it would be suicide what would have happened if the first inventions the plough the level the saw etc had been appropriated such is the first proposition of monsieur wolowski i reply absolute property in land and tools hinders human activity and obstructs progress in the free development of man what happened in rome and in all the ancient nations what occurred in the middle ages what do we see today in england in consequence of absolute property and the sources of production the suicide of humanity two real and personal property is in harmony with the social interest in consequence of literary property social and individual interests are perpetually in conflict the statement of this proposition contains a rhetorical figure common with those who do not enjoy full and complete liberty of speech this figure is the antiphrasis or the contre verite it consists according to dumarsay and the best humanists in saying one thing while meaning another monsieur wolowski's proposition naturally expressed would read as follows just as real and personal property is essentially hostile to society so in consequence of literary property social and individual interests are perpetually in conflict three monsieur de montalembert in the chamber of peers vehemently protested against the assimilation of authors to inventors of machinery an assimilation which he claimed to be injurious to the former monsieur wolowski replies that the rights of authors without machinery would be nil that without paper mills type foundries and printing offices there could be no sale of verse or prose that it many a mechanical invention the compass for instance the telescope or the steam engine is quite as valuable as a book prior to monsieur montalembert monsieur charles comte had laughed at the inference in favor of mechanical inventions which logical minds never fail to draw from the privileges granted to authors he says monsieur comte who first conceived and executed the idea of transforming a piece of wood into a pair of sabots or an animal's hide into a pair of sandals would thereby have acquired an exclusive right to make shoes for the human race undoubtedly under the system of property for in fact this pair of sabots over which you make so merry is the creation of the shoemaker the work of his genius the expression of his thought to him it is his poem quite as much as le roi samus is monsieur victor hugo's drama justice for all alike if you refuse a patent to a perfecter of boots refuse also a privilege to a maker of rhymes four that which gives importance to a book is a fact external to the author and his work without the intelligence of society without its development and a certain community of ideas passions and interests between it and the authors the works of the latter would be worth nothing the exchangeable value of a book is due even more to the social condition than to the talent displayed in it indeed it seems as if i were copying my own words the proposition of monsieur wolowski contains a special expression of a general and absolute idea one of the strongest and most conclusive against the right of property why do artists like mechanics find the means to live 
because society has made the fine arts like the rudest industries objects of consumption and exchange governed consequently by all the laws of commerce and political economy now the first of these laws is the equipoise of functions that is the equality of associates five monsieur wolowski indulges in sarcasm against the petitioners for literary property there are authors he says who crave the privileges of authors and who for that purpose point out the power of the melodrama they speak of the niece of cornille begging at the door of a theatre which the works of her uncle had enriched to satisfy the avarice of literary people it would be necessary to create literary majorats and make a whole code of exceptions i like this virtuous irony but monsieur wolowski has by no means exhausted the difficulties which the question involves and first is it just that monsieur's cousin guizot viamain de miron and company paid by the state for delivering lectures should be paid a second time through the booksellers that i who have the right to report their lectures should not have the right to print them is it just that messieurs noel and chafsol overseers of the university should use their influence in selling their selections from literature to the youth whose studies they are instructed to superintend in consideration of a salary and if that is not just is it not proper to refuse literary property to every author holding public offices and receiving pensions and sinecures again shall the privilege of the author extend to irreligious and immoral works calculated only to corrupt the heart and obscure the understanding to grant this privilege is to sanction immorality by law to refuse it is to censure the author and since it is impossible in the present imperfect state of society to prevent all violations of the moral law it will be necessary to open a license office for books as well as morals but then three-fourths of our literary people will be obliged to register and recognize thenceforth on their own declaration as prostitutes they will necessarily belong to the public we pay toll to the prostitute we do not endow her finally shall plagiarism be classed with forgery if you reply yes you appropriate in advance all of the subjects of which books treat if you say no you leave the whole matter to the decision of the judge except in the case of a clandestine reprint how will he distinguish forgery from quotation imitation plagiarism or even coincidence a savant spends two years in calculating a table of logarithms to nine or ten decimals he prints it a fortnight after his book is selling at half price it is impossible to tell whether this result is due to forgery or competition what shall the court do in case of doubt shall it award the property to the first occupant as well decide the question by lot these however are trifling considerations but do we see that in granting a perpetual privilege to authors and their heirs we really strike a fatal blow at their interests we think to make booksellers dependent upon authors a delusion the booksellers will unite against works and their proprietors against works by refusing to push their sale by replacing them with poor imitations by reproducing them in a hundred indirect ways and no one knows how far the science of plagiarism and skilful imitation may be carried against proprietors are we ignorant of the fact that a demand for a dozen copies enables a bookseller to sell a thousand that with an addition of five hundred he can supply a kingdom for thirty years what will the poor authors do in the presence of this omnipotent union of booksellers i will tell them what they will do they will enter the employ of those whom they now treat as pirates and to secure an advantage they will become wage laborers a fit reward for ignoble avarice and insatiable pride footnote 
the property fever is at its height among writers and artists and it is curious to see the complacency with which our legislators and men of letters cherish this devouring passion an artist sells a picture and then the merchandise delivered assumes to prevent the purchaser from selling engravings under the pretext that he the painter in selling the original has not sold his design a dispute arises between the amateur and the artist in regard to both the fact and the law monsieur villemain the minister of public instruction being consulted as to this particular case finds that the painter is right only the property in the design should have been specially reserved in the contract so that in reality monsieur villemain recognizes in the artist a power to surrender his work and to prevent its communication thus contradicting the legal axiom one cannot give and keep at the same time a strange reasoner is monsieur villemain an ambiguous principle leads to a false conclusion instead of rejecting the principle monsieur villemain hastens to admit the conclusion with him the reductio ad absurdum is a convincing argument thus he is made official defender of literary property sure of being understood and sustained by a set of loafers the disgrace of literature and the plague of public morals why then does monsieur villemain feel so strong an interest in settling himself up as the chief of the literary classes in playing for their benefit the role of tristan in the councils of the state and in becoming the accomplice and associate of a band of profligates soi disant men of letters who for more than ten years have labored with such deplorable success to ruin public spirit and corrupt the heart by warping the mind and a footnote contradictions of contradictions genius is the great leveller of the world cries monsieur de lamartine then genius should be a proprietor literary property is the fortune of democracy this unfortunate poet thinks himself profound when he is only puffed up his eloquence consists solely in coupling ideas which clash with each other round square dark sun fallen angel priest and love thought and poetry genius and fortune leveling and property let us tell him in reply that his mind is a dark luminary that each of his discourses is a disordered harmony and that all his successes whether in verse or prose are due to the use of the extraordinary in the treatment of the most ordinary subjects le national in reply to the report of monsieur lamartine endeavors to prove that literary property is of a quite different nature from landed property as if the nature of the right of property depended on the object to which it was applied and not on the mode of its exercise and the condition of its existence but the main object of le national is to please a class of proprietors whom an extension of the right of property vexes that is why le national opposes literary property will it tell us once for all whether it is for equality or against it six objection property in occupied land passes to the heirs of the occupant why say the authors should not the work of genius pass in a like manner to the heirs of the man of genius monsieur wolowski's reply because the labor of the first occupant is continued by his heirs while the heirs of an author neither change nor add to his works in landed property the continuance of labor explains the continuance of right yes when the labor is continued but if the labor is not continued the right ceases thus is the right of possession founded on personal labor recognized by monsieur wolowski monsieur wolowski decides in favor of granting to authors property in their works for a certain number of years dating from the day of their first publication the succeeding lectures on patents and inventions were no less instructive although intermingled with shocking contradictions inserted with a view to make the useful truths more palatable 
the necessity for brevity compels me to terminate this examination here not without regret thus of two eclectic jurists who attempt a defense of property one is entangled in a set of dogmas without principle or method and is constantly talking nonsense and the other designedly abandons the cause of property in order to present under the same name the theory of individual possession was i wrong in claiming that confusion reigned among legists and ought i to be legally prosecuted for having said that their science henceforth stood convicted of falsehood its glory eclipsed the ordinary resources of law no longer sufficing philosophy political economy and the framers of systems have been consulted all the oracles appealed to have been discouraging end of section twenty nine second memoir part seven